Speaking of putting to sleep, we started a wake-up call in January of going through the Gospel of John. John is a gift to you and I. Those of you who have ever been a part of any street evangelism or door-to-door -door, uh, witnessing, that might have been the little pamphlet or the little Bible section that you gave to someone, the Gospel of John. Because in the Gospel of John, it, it, it just it keeps giving and giving and giving to us as believers. And today, we pick back up with what I called last week probably one of the most, I would say it is the most well-known section of Scripture because John 3.16 is in it, but it is the third chapter of the Gospel of John where Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus at night. And if you show this slide, I, I think in pictures, I think in movies, I think with illustration. I'm much better with picture books than I am with words, word books. But Nick at night is who we call him in our minds. And I had to lean over to Pierce. I said, isn't Nick at night what I think it is? Because I, I just, I liked Nick at night. You know, that's kind of where I went. But Nick at night is that TV channel that runs, I think, on the back of Nickelodeon that plays all the old familiar sitcoms that make you feel good. Nicodemus, at night, went to Jesus to make him feel good. And all we got last week is that he didn't feel good. He felt confused. He didn't understand this idea of being born again. He was confused. And, and Jesus, the last verse that we even read last week was, I think, verse 10. And, and he, he basically, 10 or 11, he basically says to him, of all the people in Israel, you should understand. Because, you see, Nicodemus' upper right corner was the wealthiest man, according to tradition and legend, in Israel. That's Steve uh, Bezos, if that's how you say his name right. Is he the wealthiest guy in the world or just in the U.S.? All the above. He's pretty wealthy, let's put it that way, okay? Um, Nicodemus was so wealthy that in the 19th chapter of John... Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. In the 19th chapter, he is the one who goes with Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body to be buried. And he brings with him 75 pounds of burial spices. Only a wealthy man could afford 75 pounds of spice. He was a Pharisee. He was on the Sanhedrin, which was like their Supreme Court. You see the bottom right picture of our Supreme Court. I think that's the current one. I couldn't name them all anyway, so shame on me. But there were about 70 that were a part of that Sanhedrin who, who basically presided over the laws of the land. For, for Even though underneath Roman uh, rule, they were allowed as, Israel, as, as children of Israel to have their own uh, internal government system, and they would make decisions on the faith for the Jews of the day. In fact, it is in the let's see, it's nineteen and seventh chapter of John that we see the second time of the three. I mentioned the last one, and now this is the first one in John three. But in seven, it's when Jesus is—they're about to ready to go seize Jesus, and Nicodemus. I think that's 
please, I'm doing this all from memory, which is probably a terrible thing to do. I think it's like 7.45 or something like that. Sounds like a time in the morning. He goes and, sta- and says, hey, doesn't our law say that we get to kind of defend ourselves? So that's that Supreme Court legal opinion you get from him. So you get him asking who he is, really, kind of coming to Jesus, wanting to know who he is. You get him being this legal representative. And, and of course, you get him being the one who helps anoint Jesus' body. That sinner one is just a reminder of what the name Nicodemus means. Nicodemus, as I shared with you last week, is a blending of two words, conqueror or victor and people. And that is Nicodemus, Kansas. 150 miles, I'd never heard of it until I started researching it this week. 150, I'm looking at that joke is Kansas ties there. Or is that just Dennis with Kansas ties? Both of you, yeah. 150 miles north of Dodge City. And what's above you, Nebraska? Above Kansas? It's, really, it's closer to Nebraska than about anything. It's out in the middle of nowhere. But it is a city that after the Civil War, freed slaves relocated to build their own community. And it still is in existence today. Freed people. Victory, victorious people. In fact, I, I consolidated the word last week to say, if you named your child Nicodemus, it means you're a winner. And they came, and that, that still exists today, and you can, it's a public uh, or U.S. Uh, park there. Only about 20 people, I think, still live on the property, but uh, the lady who is one of the park rangers, I watched a video clip of her, because, you know, if it's video, I'm going to start watching it, and just forget about reading the book, I'm going to watch the video. And uh, she shares that she's like the fifth or sixth generation of someone who grew up in Nicodemus. So all this comes to a head in the Gospel of John, the third chapter. Oh, and then St. Nicodemus in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church, Nicodemus is a saint. And through Catholic tradition, and and I'm not not, uh, making fun or making light of it, uh, they suggest that uh, he visited Jesus on a number of nights. They often went to him with his questions. And Pierce, you asked me this, I think, this week. What is the tradition on him? Really not a lot. Catholic Church says he was more than likely martyred, but that's about all we know. Um, one writer I read this week said he couldn't understand what it meant to be born again in John 3. But when he takes the lifeless body of his Savior, he shed tears like we would shed with a newborn's birth. For now he understood what it meant to be born again. So... If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, please, to the third chapter. Uh, we're going to take off, I think, here at uh, verse 11. I said to you that Jesus has just said to him in verse 10, you're Israel's teacher. You know, you're one of the who's who's of the country, and you don't understand these things. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. That's the case for all of us. What do you talk about at morning coffee? Thursday morning, Judd. I know you're already in the scripture. You're you're reading. We talk about what's happened the day before, right? What we saw on TV. Experience it. Oh, we talk about all the problems with our bodies. You get old men together. Oh, I got a toenail that's growing in sideways. You talk about what you know and what you've experienced. And Jesus says, but still, 
You people don't accept our testimony. In other words, you've seen me. You, you, you understand who, what I'm doing because he said earlier, no one can do these things unless he be from God. Nicodemus, that's a, a testimony, a declaration that you have to be from God. But Jesus is trying to explain to him. Verse 12, you have spoke, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven, and the NIV doesn't do the best job here uh, of how uh, this in and out. He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And basically, Jesus is saying, no one has gone into heaven and came back from heaven and goes back again. He's giving you some foreshadowing of who he is. And we've already remembered the very beginning of John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's come from heaven, he'd go back to heaven. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this passage that most of us have parts of it memorized, we've heard it preached as often as we've been in church. You must be born again. Today, remind us that we must simply believe. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a red letter edition Bible, raise your hand. I mean, a hard copy Bible. Now, why are some of those letters in red? It's what Jesus has said, right? It's the words of Jesus. And uh, it's funny, this one I have is not a red letter. I had to go back to one of my King James, and I actually have several versions in my office. And how some are red letter, some are not. This one I've highlighted so many times, I'm starting to think I'm colorblind if they were red or not, because i got some pinks in there on John 3.16. But I bring that to your attention because commentators are at odds with when the last words in this passage are truly spoken by Jesus and which words are John's account of what he saw and what he knew, as well as writing from a resurrected time when Jesus has already come, he's died, he's come back from the grave, and he's ascended into heaven. Now, and I can see, because it's kind of awkward, it's like Jesus goes from one-on-one, -on -one first-person conversation to more of a narrative, and even refers to himself as the Son of Man, that type of thing, which is not always the way he had at this point ever spoken of himself. But as we read those verses, I, I am reminded of the Bible verse that the class that I'm trying to lead on Sunday night is supposed to memorize for tonight, which says all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired, absolutely, and is profitable for what? Teaching? Did you say rebuke or reproof? Yeah, uh-huh. Some of you need to memorize that again. Let's just say it's somewhere in, I think, uh, one of the letters of Timothy. Maybe the second one. And maybe you need to pull your Bibles out and memorize that. But nonetheless, that's why I really don't care whether Jesus said it exactly himself or John said it and wrote it for us, or John wrote it because all Scripture is inspired by God. So I'll take you off of that little sidetrack and say simply believe we must believe 
and simply believe because, as Jesus said, we believe what we know and what we see. Believe what you know and what you see. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 one more time. Some of you are going to get tired of me reading these over and over, but just as Nicodemus doesn't always understand, maybe we don't either. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. Isn't it that same way today? There are people who know who Jesus is. They have seen people go to church. They may have even been church themselves, and they still do not believe. And Jesus says, I have spoken to you of, of earthly things, and you don't believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? I know Pierce likes, and I'm sorry, Pierce, I'm not trying to pick on you, but this came to mind as it often does. Pierce likes to talk to um, beard vaping, beard vaping, gold member Pontiac guy. He, Jeremy? Jeremy's got a Ph.D. in astrophysics or some kind of quantum, quantum oh, might as well be quantum physics. I barely got through high school physics. And Jesus is saying, if you don't understand high school physics, how are you going to understand quantum physics? I mean, it's the simple truth. You don't know the periodic table in chemistry? I don't think you're going to be a rocket scientist to develop, you know, nitroglycerin or whatever else it is. And Nicodemus is like, I think in Missouri we say it's the show me state, right? Jesus had shown Nicodemus his power. He came that night saying, we've seen your miracles. But you must be from God, and he kind of stops at that point, yet he was still confused. Some philosophers say that what you experience is what you believe, while others will say what you believe is what you experience. Nicodemus was fighting what we all fight. We must simply believe. And he just, he could not at this point understand who Jesus was. Like Paul wrote, for now we all believe or know in part. We prophesy in part. He challenges Nicodemus to simply believe. Now, I'm going to have a short video clip for you to watch. Go figure. It, it has to do with cars. Go figure. It did not make it to the Corvette show. I, life events took place, but I thought about it two times when I was doing other things. Um, it is a fictitious account from Ford versus Ferrari. Not that that movie is, is it's a great movie. Great movie. I love the movie. Uh, I have edited it because a couple of pieces of it were not fit for public viewing. Uh, without, without your preacher being very embarrassed. But it is at the point where Henry Ford II in this movie, and this is, this is true, he wanted to beat Ferrari, if you understand the timing in 1966, 1967, when Ford Motor Company tried to buy Ferrari out. And they could have because Ferrari was struggling. But instead, Mr. Is it, what's his name? It's like Lorenzo, it's not right though. And, you know, Mr. Ferrari. Mr. Ferrari uh, basically thumbed his nose up at the Americans and sold it to another Italian. Uh, sold it to Fiat, I think, is who he bought, sold it to at that time. But nonetheless, Ford says, forget it. We're going to beat uh, Ferrari at his own game. We're going to go to Le Mans and ruin Le Mans and shove it down their throats. And towards that, he put, in 1966 money, $9 million towards building cars that would beat Ferrari. Those of you who love fastback 65 Mustangs, 
the same guy that torqued those up, Carol Shelby, a Texan. <laughs> Somebody ought to say amen. Uh, gets to take, and this is the fictitious part, gets to take Henry Ford II to see the car that he spent so much money on because he's, he's, he believes, but he hasn't seen, nor has he experienced what his money's been doing. So let's hit it. You ready? The name on the middle of that steering wheel should tell you that I was born ready, Shelby. Hit it. Attaboy. have a tendency to soil themselves. of tears and laughter. You watch his emotions. <laughs> this is the beautiful part, I think. <laughs> Mr. Ford. <laughs> you okay? Mr. Ford. You all right? I had no idea. I had no idea. I wish my daddy, you were alive to see this, <laughs> to feel this. If you can think of that in Christian terms, there are some people who have never felt and never fully believed who Jesus is. And when they do, it is a transformation that Words cannot explain. And some of us who have come to know Jesus and perhaps our parents hadn't, like he said, I wish my daddy could have seen this, felt this. John contains Jesus' words. It says, you must simply believe. Because we believe what we know and what we see, but yet they weren't believing in what he was doing. You didn't understand the things on earth. How are you going to understand my heavenly language? Unlike Nicodemus, you have the benefit of the resurrection account. Centuries of Christian impact on our world. Millions of lives have changed through believing, simply believing in Jesus. So you simply believe what you know and what you've seen through the work of Jesus Christ. Second, believe in the one lifted up. With prophetic foreshadowing, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he would be lifted up like the snake in the desert. That's from Numbers 21. If you remember, the children of Israel had now, even though they had victories, even though they had some wonderful, you know, God's hand had been upon them, but now they start complaining. They're complaining about the food. They're so tired of what they're eating. They're complaining to Moses. They're complaining about God. And in fact, they got so angry 
that God takes note and sends these deadly snakes that bite the children of Israel. And some die. And after, I don't know how long, a period of this happening, they came to Moses and said, please appeal to God. Ask for God to intervene and stop these, you know, deadly snakes. And in fact, Moses does, and he prays to God, and God tells him, make a bronze, you know, make a staff and put a snake on it and lift it up. And those who would lift, look up at that snake would be healed. They would be saved. That first, I can never spell that, say that word. It's a catechus, or not, somebody say it for me. It's the snake around the rod. It's the same term as the, Brenda, I said it for you like twice today. Whatever. C-A-D-E-U, I think I had it spelled here somewhere. C-A-D-U-C-E-U-S, caduceus. That's it, caduceus. It's got the Zeus sound in it. Caduceus which is the same thing that our medical military members well, where they wear the Greek version of it when a thousand years later, uh, the Greek god Hermes, who is the god of healing, they take two snakes around a winged staff, and that becomes what, like when I was in the military, all the, the medics and those you know, in the medical field had those caduceus on their uniforms. Jesus is saying, I will be the one you look to. I will be the one lifted up that replaces the very thing. It's interesting. The snake was the thing they feared, which was the thing they had to look to to bring healing. Jesus' death is what we, we fear. Well, some of you don't fear death because you know who Jesus is. But yet you still, you don't want to leave this life. And Jesus becomes that very thing that so many of us would say you fear. If you'll be lifted up, you will be saved. The Gospel of John then makes this theological connection between Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, and his exaltation, and even his ascension into heaven, being lifted up. He's lifted up on the cross. He's lifted up from the grave. He's lifted into glory with the Father. And I think we too are to lift him up. Have you ever been to the airport and saw Lyft drivers? Now, I actually have the Uber app on my, I don't have my phone on me, I don't bring it into church. But um, I use Uber. Lyft is the one that, I think some of them have this little pink mustache on the front of their cars. You ever seen those? And I thought, maybe I should paint my what little mustache I have pink. Because if you see the pink mustache, you know that's the place you need to go to be, to take a lift, to take a ride, to get, you get to go somewhere. So maybe we should paint our mustaches, or our hair, or whatever, pink. It'd be a reminder that every day you need to lift up. Jesus. I'll see who takes that dare next week. I doubt many. Why are we to lift him up? Because if you simply believe, you will receive eternal life. A man went to a, a cemetery and uh, he was waiting for the funeral. Uh, this preacher story, okay? My, I usually preface preacher stories. But I grew up beside a cemetery, so I can tell you, I've read hundreds of cemetery stones. I mean, you read the, the dates and the sayings that people read. But he's walking around because he's there before this funeral procession had arrived. And he starts reading some of the epitaphs on the stones. And one caught his attention. And it said, death is eternal. He thought, man, that's depressing. Death is eternal. Hmm. But the nearer he got to the stone, he found out that another stone was 
obscuring a part of the, the saying. And when he got closer, it said, death is eternal life. That through our faith in Christ Jesus, death then becomes that stepping stone to eternal life. Christ Jesus came that we might have eternal life. You simply must believe in him. In just a moment, I'm going to offer a, a short time of invitation, and then we will slide into um, a communion time that Pierce will lead us. And uh, Pierce, I, I'm going to give a, a little intro for communion based on this uh, sermon illustration I read this week. And actually, it's, it came from um, a history. I, I, I tell you, I go into things on the Internet. Uh, I feel like I read too much on it, but there are some really good things. And as a chaplain, I am very familiar with many chaplain stories. The story of the four chaplains, you know, gave their life jackets away on USS Dorchester. Uh, the, you know, you, you know the saying of uh, give them hell and pass the ammunition. That's, uh, pass the ammunition. That's, that's a Navy chaplain who was a, f a college football player who's helping them load munitions on Pearl, during Pearl Harbor. There are all kinds of great chaplain stories from World War II you can read and others. But I'd never heard of Leon Maltby. Maltby. Uh, I went to. I was in Scouts with a Maltby, uh, but he was from um, Daytona Beach, Florida. He was a Adventist Baptist. There are some Baptist churches that meet on Saturday, and when he uh, was in World War II, he was uh, at Biak, which is where Brenda's dad. He Brenda's dad was in uh, with a. a um, munitions group uh, and did island hopping during World War II. And I remember that's tell you did a research paper on him once. That was one of the cities or one of the islands. It's an island off of the Philippines. And uh, Chaplain Maltby got to Biak after they had already been cleared. It was about six months. He's the first Protestant chaplain to even make it to Japan. But at Biak, uh, he gets there and there's no, ch there's no chapel. And that's understandable. You know, they're moving fast. And he gets a, a, a parachute to use kind of like a tent. And, you know, he, he puts down some uh, other cloth to have a clean place where they can worship and there's no communion set and even though a Baptist he thought it was important you know because some of the other high churches communion would be far more important perhaps than a Baptist but he took 50 caliber shells and wanted live rounds because he didn't want to use a shell that had been used to hurt someone or kill someone he removed the lead and the gunpowder and took a, and, you know, Steve, I know you got far more boom experience than I do. I don't know how big a howitzer is, but it, I think it said a 220 millimeter, which I'm not real good at millimeters and inches. But he used that as the dish to contain the 50 different, uh, excuse me, the 20 different uh, 50 caliber shells. And he cut them, you know, he removed all the, the uh, explosive part of it. And he used that for communion because he wanted to show that through what could have been death, there was eternal life. And if you go to Daytona Beach, you can see a museum, that, a little veterans museum that still ho has that uh, communion ware. So today when we think of, if we have simply believed, you will understand through our communion time the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus and that through simply believing in Him, we can have eternal life. So stand with me, please, we pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation, and I know that uh, we've rushed through this, but uh, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who are here. If they've uh, seen your work, maybe not in their lives, but they've seen it in others, and they want to grasp that faith, simply believe. And Father, if we are here as Christians and we haven't been lifting up your Son,
Shame on us. Paint my whole body pink to remind me to share and lift up Jesus every day. For if we simply believe in him, we will have eternal life. I pray now if someone who's never accepted Jesus, never said, I want to simply believe that they would come forward in this moment. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.